This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com if you're a loser tune in and you'll be a winner it's the moranalytics podcast talking buffalo sports yankees wwe 80s music and pop culture and now here's your host patrick moran All right, podcast fans, how you doing? Welcome to episode 154 of the Moranalytics podcast presented today by our friends over at Paul Cellular. Today is Friday, September 20th. Yo, is it me or is September just going by way too fast? I cannot believe that we are getting close to October already. It's going to be freaking Christmas before we know it. Anyway, thank you as always for listening and for downloading. If You have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast. Please go ahead and do so right now. Coming up on today's episode, tell you what, I got a double hitter today. Two really good guests. Featured guests today, I'm going to have Melissa Jacobs, founder and managing editor of thefootballgirl.com. We're going to talk about her life and her career. A fascinating career, by the way. Going to give fans a chance, as I like to do. On this podcast with the featured interviews, going to give fans a chance to learn a lot more about her. Also, we'll talk about the Football Girl podcast that she has. Does an incredible job on that. Awesome guest. I listen to it all the time. I'm a big fan of it. So I got Melissa coming up. Also, my man, haven't had him on in a handful of weeks. Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. We like to do a recurring segment called the Big Boy Theory. Today, we're going to talk Buffalo Bills. We're going to talk Buffalo Sabres. I got a couple things about the office that I'm going to hit on with him. I got some takes on Tampa Bay Rays fans. You know what? I don't don't want to get on the soapbox yet. I'll save that for our segment. Lots of stuff going on with Jeff. So got Melissa coming up. Got Jeff coming up. Have both of those for you in just a minute. Real quick, before I get going, I just want to say that I'm going to continue to try to do different things on this podcast rather than just have straight bills or straight Buffalo Sabres talk, and nothing else. I say it all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. If I have the right guest on, I'll put up an episode of this podcast when it comes to the Buffalo Bills against any other thing out there. But it depends who the guest is. But on a consistent basis, no. If you're only 
going to listen to a podcast only 100% for Buffalo Bills news and analysis and nothing else, this probably is not the top podcast for you. I would recommend, and I'll tell you straight up, go listen to the Buffalo Beat with Matt Fairburn and Joe B, or go listen to Cover One, or go listen to one of the Buffalo Rumblings podcast or Cold Front Report. There's a lot of them out there. When it comes to the Sabres, maybe not as many podcasts, but there's some good ones out there. My podcast is not going to be solely or um, exclusively dedicated to anything, okay? Whether it's the Bills, whether it's the Sabres, I'm trying to mix it up, and I'm going to continue to try to mix it up going forward even more. I've had on a couple reality TV singing show um, episode themes. I've had uh, just, in fact, what was it, last week, Addison Aiken from The Voice, who finished she made it all the way to the finale in 2017, just 16 years old, which is amazing to me. I enjoyed doing that. I'm going to have more 80s stuff going forward. You know, I if you listen to the intro, the voiceover at the top of this podcast, it says 80s music, pop culture, and all kinds of other stuff. Well, guess what? I've gotten away from 80s stuff completely. I looked. I think this is episode 154, my third episode ever. I had an 80s author. His name was Kevin Smoker, and he wrote a book, and we talked about it. It was about 80s movies and, and movie sets, and it was a fun interview, and I just completely got away from doing 80s stuff, and that's going to stop. I'm going to start getting back into things like that on my blog, which, by the way, moranalytics.com. Before I even started this podcast, which I started this podcast in February of 2018, so kind of well before that, I had the blog, and I counted down. I did a big countdown of my top 100 songs from the 80s, but I've never really done anything on this podcast with it. Well, that's going to change. You know, I'm going to start enlisting some of my sports media buddies and maybe I'll start running down 10 of those an episode and we'll have thoughts and a discussion on those songs, things like that. Wrestling is another thing. I kind of have one or two episodes where I, I dive into wrestling and then I don't talk about it again for two months. So I'm going to stop doing that, man. I want to I want to be well-rounded. I want this podcast to be a little unpredictable and I want it to be a variety type of podcast. I don't want to be pigeonholed and trying to be a Buffalo Bills podcast because if that's the case, it's not going to be that good because there's better ones out there if it's only about the Buffalo Bills. So anyway, you get what I'm saying. Going forward, continue to look out for different themes, variety of different things, and I look forward to bringing those all to you. Getting back to today, okay, because... That's what this podcast ultimately is about. Melissa Jacobs, man, I am such a big, big fan of hers. One of the leading pioneers of women out there in the sports media world today. And you know, if I'm going to tip my own hat here, pat my own back, I should say, so to speak. I feel like I've been a big time proponent of, or supporter, I should say, of having a lot of great female sports media personalities on this podcast. I've had many of them on the show. I've had Josina Anderson on from ESPN. I've had Mary Kay Cabot. I've had Jenny Vrentis from Sports Illustrated, who, by the way, is on the Football Girl podcast that just came out yesterday on Thursday. I've had Charlotte Wilder from Sports Illustrated, Olivia Harnon from ESPN. I've had tons of local sports media women on locally as well. I'm just a big fan of the work that they do, and I like to mix it up on the show and have different people on there. So I'm going to continue to do that. But anyway, back to Melissa. She's one of the best out there. She's been doing this for a very long time. She's so insanely talented and intelligent. Love talking to her. One last thing too, by the way, she's also really cool because I didn't mention this during the, our interview that aired that I'm going to play for you in just a second, but 
I was scheduled. This is you're hearing this on Friday. I'm actually recording this opening late Thursday night. I was scheduled to have an interview with her on Wednesday, and I had to reschedule it with no notice at all. I had a kind of a family emergency. Had never spoken to Melissa before, talking to her to reschedule this. She could have easily said, you know what, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this podcast. But she didn't. She worked with me and found time in her schedule on Thursday to tape this interview. So very appreciative of her. So on top of being talented, she's really very nice. Anyway, here it is, my interview with Melissa Jacobs, followed immediately by another installment of The Big Boy Theory. Let's do it. All right, my guest today is one of the most talented sports media figures out there. She is the creator of thefootballgirl.com and also the host of the Football Girl podcast. I am talking, of course, about Melissa Jacobs. How you doing, Melissa? Thanks for coming on, doing a podcast today. Good to have you on. How you doing? I'm good. That was quite the intro. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited to have you on. And again, I know a lot about your career. I've I followed it for a while. Now I read a lot of your stuff, but I don't know much about you personally. And that's kind of the theme of this podcast, what I like to do when I have a sports media person on. So I kind of want to go back to the beginning a little bit. I'm sure some of your fans feel the same way. I'd like to know a little bit more about you. Uh, let's start with the like the most simplest of questions. Where exactly were you born? Where'd you grow up? Um, so I was born in Santa Monica, California. Um and kind of, I, we were there for a few years, and then I was in the Central Valley of California, like Fresno, um, for a little bit of my childhood, and then we moved up to the Bay Area yeah, uh, for basically high school, and I went to school in the Bay Area, and then I basically left for my career um, and was on the East Coast ever since, and we just moved back to the Bay Area a couple years ago, so it's like a completely different situation. You got into fantasy football in high school, I read, which, you know, not to make you sound or feel old at all, but back in, <laughs> in that time, it wasn't exactly, it didn't have the mainstream popularity no. that fantasy football does now. What got you into fantasy football? Well, yeah, I got to say, I wasn't on my smartphone making lineup changes, like <laughs> classes, unfortunately, like looking at projections online. Um, <laughs> it What, you know, my, so my stepdad, my stepdad is um has has been in a fantasy league that's going on like 25 years i want to say 25 26 years wow. and it was it was actually designed as a father son league mm. well he doesn't have a son i had always i had, i mean i had always been into the nfl i got into it really grew up you know hardcore 49ers fan kind of growing up like at the tail end of of the I was going to say their first dynasty. I guess there hasn't really been a dynasty since <laughs> the mini, the mini Jim Harbaugh dynasty. But other than that, um, and you know, I knew a few people who played and I just loved the idea of it. I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, like I can follow the whole league this way. And, um, you know, especially as still like kind of a kid, it's like, Ooh, I could have Peyton Man you know, whoever it is like you kind of like, I think idolize players a lot more when you're younger sure. and the idea of like feeling that connection. And then honestly, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I just kind of knew the game at a young age because that's, I was interested in that aspect learning the X's and O's and all of that. So, um, and my stepdad, if he was on the line would admit this way more than he knew. And knows. <laughs> so I was kind of like his secret weapon. 
So he didn't really tell people that I was doing it. Um, and then, and then eventually, um, you know, now they know, but (laughs) he he did. And and also at the time, I feel like this doesn't happen as much in leagues anymore, but because, because people watch more national games and have access, you know, tech has evolved direct TV, whatever, but they, they were very hyper local. You know, I knew I was like, oh, they're going to take all the 49ers like, oh, let's go get, you know, whomever running back. And um, so we would always win, just like taking advantage of of their (laughs) poor strategies. Now, you went to Cal Berkeley, I read, for college. Why did you go there? And were there other schools that you considered going to or wanted to go to? Or was it Cal for you 100% all the way? Yeah, I mean, you know, I wanted to go there because I was going to be a sports agent and they had a really good political science program. Okay. I mean, they still do. Um, and that was my, I was like, I'm definitely going to law school. I mean, it was, it was close. It was easy. I don't think I was really, I honestly, I don't think I was, you know, emotionally ready to go to some big school elsewhere out of state. I mean, if there was a little bit of a cost factor too, to be sure, honest, sure. um, but yeah, I I really thought it would be a good theater situation because I was definitely going to law school. I was going to be a trailblazing sports agent, um, that female sports agent representing mainstream male athletes. I wanted female clients too, but I'm like, I'm going to represent, you know, the next Michael Jordan or right. whatever it was at the time. Um, yeah, so that's kind of that. That's kind of that, and then I. You know, while I was in college, I got my um, internship, my first job in media at uh, KNBR in San Francisco, big sports station. And um, I loved it. I loved it. And I progressed really quickly and they offered me a job. That, and then like suddenly I feel like I blinked and then I was the executive producer there. I was going like, to say you were you became the youngest executive producer yeah. in that station's history and you covered the right. 49ers and the Raiders. What was that experience like for you? I'm assuming, like I said, that was very early on in your life and especially in your career. That's a, that's a pretty good gig early on. Yeah. Oh, I I mean, first of all, I mean, I had, I had, it was a very layered thing because obviously I had the fandom. I actually grew up a a, more of a fan of the San Francisco giants than the 49ers loved baseball. Went to good. I mean, I would, I would literally come home and listen to every game on the radio or obviously watch it on TV. If it was on TV, um, more so sometimes than, you know, I, I would like be efficient be like, I gotta get my homework done because the first pitch is at you know, four thirty-five or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. so I, yeah, I mean, I grew up just being a huge fan and, you know, but then I was also like very ambitious about my career. So then I had to sort of reconcile at a very young age, like, Oh, you're, can't really be a fan anymore. Right. I mean, you can, you are still kind of, we all are in sports. Sure. Even now I'm a Niners fan. Like I, I, I'm very open about that. But then when I go and like, you know, cover a game, cause I do go to some games in person. I don't think about my fandom. I don't consider that at all in my coverage. I, you know, make a point to be very fair and criticism and, you know, all of that. So I I had to kind of learn that balance that I think pretty much everybody in sports media goes through. So eventually you get hired by ESPN and your job then was producing radio shows and eventually created the talent production department on the TV side. What was that process like starting a talent production department? That fascinates me. 
Right. It was cool. Um, so I, I was brought over, um, they, you know, I, when I was at KMBR, they, they had kind of recruited me. So I moved to Bristol, Connecticut. Like I had never driven in snow. It was January of that year too. Oh, I literally wow. had never, I did, you know, I go out to my car after maybe like my third day at work and I was like, wait, it's snowing. Like, how do I get the snow off my car? And everyone's like, he's a scraper. I'm like, what, <laughs> what the hell is that? So I had to have people help me. I mean, it was ridiculous, but, um, you know, so I'm in radio and I like it. I'm not working on the most, well, I'm not working on the most premier shows in the sense, the ones that my bosses are are putting all their eggs into and they're having the meetings about. Right. But however, I did get to work on uh, the weekend programming, which was amazing. So Dick Shap had a radio show um, before he passed away. So I got to work with him for, you know, like basically a year and a half. And then he unfortunately passed away. But I mean, Dick Shap, the greatest. I I mean, and he was the most incredible, like generous man. And I mean, I just learned aside from just like his, you know, next level interviewing skills. And I mean, he would literally be like, oh, okay, Melissa, we're going to, here's Billy Crystal's number. Just like patch him in. He's going to come on the show today. Like, it would just be like, oh, okay. I'm calling Billy Crystal now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, here's Joe Lou, you know, whatever it was. So that, I mean, it was just these like incredible guests and, and just from Dick, I learned from, um, I just, you know, he did a thing where he would, be just, just put together like a collection of people. He loved being social. He would, you know, I would be in a, at a dinner with like, you know, a famous boxer, me, like his son, Jeremy, and like, you know, his barber, like it would just be this like random kind of, and, and that, and he took pride in just having all of these kind of cross section of people come together. So sorry for that little aside, but I worked with him and then I worked with Dan Levitard, um, had a Sunday morning show that was from seven to 11 AM. So I, I got, I got the great honor of having to call Dan and be like, it's six 30. You have to wake up. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so I had these great experiences and, but you know, I really, you know, I'm, I'm kind of infiltrating with TV people and particularly at that time, like sports center was gold, right? right? That was like the gold standard for any sports programming. And I, I wanted it. I was like, I want to be part of this. Like, this is glamorous and sexy and more money and something a little bit new. And, um, so I, you know, I had an, there was an executive, John Walsh, who's not there anymore, who's helped foster a lot of careers, honestly, particularly with an eye toward, you know, developing female executives and female talent. And he, we were like at some event and we were just kind of shooting the shit. I'm like, Oh, you know, for, in terms of, you know, booking guests, like it's so weird on, you know, sports center NFL live, like you just have writers on, like, why don't we ever, why don't we try to get some newsmakers? Like, why don't, you know, something happens, like, let's get the athlete on, let's get something or, or do something to advance the story. So I kind of, he's like, yeah, that, that sounds great. You know, I'm like, let's, let's get in the news as much as possible, yeah. as much as we can. Obviously writers come on and they can offer more analysis and, and ESPN has now since done this great thing where they basically turned a lot of writers into celebrities in their own sure. right. Yeah. But, yeah. um, yeah, it were you know, I kind of did a little bit on outside the line as a little bit of a test. And then I, you know, I've kind of present, he's just like, just pitch me. 
So I pitched this whole vision of like, well, I'll be the first and I'll be the proof of concept. And then, you know, as the shows kind of, you know, the show executives kind of buy into it, they'll start, they'll start hiring more people. And then we'll just have this full fledged, like we're crushing everybody in terms of the level of guests that we're having on the show and the kinds of conversations we're having. So yeah, that was basically it. Now you worked also with the SPNW. You've worked at Sports Illustrated. What I really want to talk about is the footballgirl.com, which originally you had started in 2009, correct? Yeah. What was the inspiration for that? What made you decide to pull the trigger on starting the footballgirl.com? Well, so I, um, I hated the way the NFL marketed to women. I mean, it's still not super great, but they, uh, you know, everything that you would see was either non-existent or it'd be like, oh, here's, you know, a corporate sponsor and here's your football 101. And I I actually remember it was um, Elizabeth Hasselbeck and it was like the most rudimentary kind of condescending content. And there wasn't any content speaking to female fans at all. And in fact, that was even more the height of like a blogosphere. So you'd have all these like, oh, here's the like hot lady of the day and wag galleries and, you know, just not like you could get good content elsewhere, but it was like, oh, I have to look through like, you know, like butt cheek shots of like whoever's girlfriend to get to it. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Uh, So that, you know, and then I also thought from a business standpoint that there was a market there in terms of, you know, products and things like that, that would be, you know, apparel and, and, and things, things of that nature. So that, that was kind of the impetus. I mean, I didn't have a, you know, I didn't come to like Silicon Valley and try to get investors with like my, you know, 10 year plan or whatever. So I, you know, I started it and just kind of more of like a, we'll see what happens. I mean, I was freelancing for ESPN at the time on the TV side. I'm like, Oh, like, you know, it was always kind of an option for me to go back to ESPN, but I really, you know, had the entrepreneurial spirit and I just, I wanted to try it. I wanted to see what happened. And also, you know, I had never, well, I had, you know, gotten into like a little bit of like writing scripts and stuff at ESPN, a little bit more of some of the traditional producer roles. I never, you know, I wanted to try something new again and be like, you know, can I be a writer? I didn't go to journalism school. I didn't, you know, I I was a little intimidated by that world, but I, and I, I I probably could look at some of my stuff from 2009 and I would probably very much cringe, but I loved the challenge of just trying to get better as a writer as well. So, you know, I got to apologize for this question because I'm sure you've been asked this countless times. Now you become one of the top sports media figures in the game. I'm a big fan of yours, Uh, man or woman. Okay. My question is this, though, and I'm confident, generally speaking, I'm sure you get it treated fairly, but I'm sure you've also had many difficulties as well working in an industry that mostly is dominated by males. Do you still feel like women unfairly have more to prove in this journalism, in this sports media industry than men do? I think it's a fair question. Yes and no. Um, It's funny because I just had Jane Slater of NFL Network on my podcast. She was talking about this, how last week, how she hears about, you know, all this moaning of it's so hard for women, but she doesn't actually believe that. And I'm kind of aligned with her. I'm like, I, we do have to work harder. We can't make mistakes. You know, Beth, Beth Moens gets to call some NFL games. She mispronounces a name. She's under the microscope. Meanwhile, like Dick Stockton is, you know, (laughs) has been gone for like 10 years and just basically mucks up, 
something on, you know, every call he has and nobody cares. Yeah. Um, so I do feel like we have much less room for error and need to be a little bit more exceptional. Um, but I do feel like there are opportunities and I do feel like there's more of, you know, from, from executives, a little bit more of an eye toward like, okay, we understand we need to have diversity in our newsrooms. And if you are a talented female, I think you, not that it's easy to get a job. There's none of these things are easy, but I do think there's a, there's room there to, to, to make your mark. Now you don't do the footballgirl.com exclusively by yourself. It's not a solo effort. Who's some of the other talent that you have on board with you there? And for fans out there listening to this podcast right now, who perhaps they don't know much about the footballgirl.com or, or they've never been there. Obviously I'll put a link to it as well in the show notes. Tell those fans out there listening right now, what the premise of the footballgirl.com is all about. Yeah. Well, it, we kind of cover everything. Um, you know, I'll do, I'll do a lot of um, analysis and, and columns, but you know, we'll kind of come in and out with various segments that we try to kind of do things a little different. Like one, for example, we have a Duke Goodery column, which is not something you'll see on a lot of right. more mainstream sites that are like, we're just, we're going to highlight because, because, you know, there's weeks like the Antonio Brown situation and it, you just feel yucky and gross. And like, it's so, it's just so good for the soul to just kind of look at a collection of like all, what all the players are doing out in the community. And I know that's a hard thing to sell to people. Like they want to read takedowns and stuff like that. But like we try to, you know, infiltrate our regular NFL content with that. We have a pretty, um, we're not a fantasy site per se, but we have um, a fantasy expert, Pat Fitzmorris, who's been writing for the site for like five years. And actually when I was at SI, he did some work for me there as well. Um, First of all, great writer, uh, but his advice is like, Next level, and I, I know that's easy for me to say, and I'm biased, but he actually fantasy fantasy pros does a ranking of like all the experts out there. There's like you know everyone that like Matthew Barry that people yeah. know to you know PFF guys and whatever. There's about 150. He's number two in accuracy right now. Oh wow. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, his rankings are posted on the site. They are a must. And and honestly, he has such a like rich fan base that if we don't, you know, people kind of know when they're posted now, which is usually right after Monday night football. But if it's like Tuesday morning and something, they're like, where's his rankings? What are we going to do? <laughs> Even though they don't have to set their lineups for two days. <laughs> Hell, I might be going to search for his forecast for this coming week right after this interview here, because <laughs> my team is hurting right now. Bad. Yeah. And then we, we've just been lucky, you know, over time it's, we, you know, I've, I've had various, you know, employees that have helped with social media. Um, a lot, you know, like they've, a lot of them have gone on to, you know, we had one a couple years ago, um, who was great. Her name's Hannah. She got hired by the Packers the next summer. So, you know, obviously I'm not, you know, these are kind of like part-time jobs. Um, but, they, you know, I've, I've been lucky to just find people that are really believe in the brand and kind of stay in touch. And then, you know, we, some of them have written for me after the fact, and I do have, you know, just an interesting collection of, of freelance writers who kind of like pop up time to time when they feel that they have something that really kind of 
matches what our, our mission is. Before we wrap up with the mini lightning round, I want to talk about the podcast that you have, the Football Girl Podcast. I'm a big fan of that. That started, you started that in late 2017. I know a lot of work goes into producing a good podcast. What was your inspiration for doing that podcast and what did you want it to be about initially? Well, I thought it would be like a really unique thing as a sports media person to have a podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Everybody has a podcast. I'm well, right? Um, yeah, you know. So it's like a big, like personal news. I have a podcast. Oh, like, wait, you didn't already? Because aren't we all required? Right. No, I just, I like to talk. Like, if you can't tell, I, I like to talk and I have a lot of opinions and I just love the the platform of a podcast. You've knocked it out of the park too. You've had some really good guests on Jane Slater, uh, Mina Kimes, Sarah Spain, Lindsay Jones, Beth Bowens, just to name a few. You've had some really good guests on there. Thank you. I mean, I do, you know, we cover the news. I give my, you know, my opinions about NFL things. I, some of them are some of the more like off field issues that I think people have a deep emotional connection to, but I've consistently, tried to have women on um, that inspire other women yeah. that give advice. We have a lot, a lot of our listenership. I, I'm always surprised. I, I wish we could break down by actual career, the demographics, but just given the contact that I get from listeners, I know we have a lot of sort of like young and up and coming sports journalists and reporters. And they're just like, Oh, thank you for that. You know, that episode with Diana Rossini and she said this and like, you're helping me so much. And like, that's what I want to hear. Right. And, yeah. and I also want, you know, to give, cause we've also had, you know, executives in the NFL and we have some plans in the next few weeks, actually like someone who heads up social media for a team. I want people to get a glimpse into some of these jobs and how they they got there and what their landscapes and challenges are. And, and, and also just to, you know, understand that, you know, we, I've had Katie Sowers on and, and Lori Locus. I basically had like all the female coaches in the NFL, <laughs> but like, I want people just to, to like, look at the broad scope of my podcast and understand that there really are a lot of kick-ass women making their stamp on the NFL right now. And it's really kind of an exciting time. Absolutely. No question about it at all. All right. So here's what we're going to do. I want to give fans a chance to know a little bit more about you in terms of fun facts. I always end this way, a little mini lightning round. Just going to ask you a, a bunch of random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that's your answer. All right. You good with that? <laughs> okay. Let's go. All right. Let's do this. A little right. scared, but right. no, 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 no. Favorite all-time athlete. If you can only pick one. Frank Favorite? Really? Buffalo mm-hmm. Bills fans are going to like that. I'll tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> they favorite, should. He's awesome. He really is. He, he really is. He's a good guy. Favorite all-time music artist or group? Can I say Hamilton? Sure. Like the soundtrack from Hamilton? I know that's not cool, oh, but That's cool. True. That's cool. What's a nice relaxing activity that you like to do for yourself that has zero to do with sports or writing or journalism, period? Get Thai massages. Okay. Favorite city that you've been able to visit? Um, I've been lucky to visit a lot. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Tokyo. Wow, Tokyo. That's really cool. All right. Who was your first celebrity childhood crush? <laughs> um, Scott Wolf party. Actually, Scott Wolf Party of Five was my first crush where the man was straight, but my actual first real crush was Greg Luganus. 
Okay. <laughs> what is your... I didn't know I was so young. I didn't know it. Right, time. right, right. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? Like, what movie have you probably rewatched more than any other? Um, in terms of in actual enjoyment, uh, well, I, I would say To Kill a Mockingbird, um, the film version, obviously, as well as, as the book. Okay. But in terms of like guilty pleasure, but I could just watch it on a loop and I have probably Rocky four and love actually best soundtrack ever. Isn't it? The Rocky four soundtrack is amazing. Oh my I God. It's fired so up good. every time yeah. I hear the music. I always get fired up. <laughs> and I'm always confused with, um, David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers because, and Robert Tepper who composed and sang no easy way home. <laughs> yeah. Soundtrack. Uh. So, um, uh, the Panthers have me thinking about Rocky four all the time. <laughs> Name a TV game show that you think if you were on it, you could potentially dominate, whether it's a current Wheel game of show Fortune. or past Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. We actually watch it in my house and I, my my whole family thinks I should be on it, especially you know because you get you win money even if you don't go to the final round you get to keep whatever you yeah, win earlier rounds pretty good deal. All right, last couple here. Right, let's say Patrick or Melissa instead of doing a podcast interview right now, we are at a club that had karaoke. Okay, and you're on stage at karaoke, and in this world right now, maybe it's imaginary. Okay, you're an amazing singer, best in the bar. Grab the mic. What song are you going to rock out to or sing that's going to get the crowd going, singing along with you? It could be a rock song, fast song, slow song. What's your signature karaoke song, at least in your that's, own mind? Yeah, and that's a very easy question for me because I'm actually a big karaoke a devotee, but a total of some heart. Nice. Okay. And I get the grind. I get like the grind going on the chorus, so I, I try to like really emphasize words and get the crowd going. <laughs> All right. Last couple here. And you kind of answered this earlier, so I'll kind of rephrase this. All right. If you had never gotten involved in this industry in any fashion, if it never worked out for you, what do you think you may have done with your life? Now you talked about being a sports agent as a kid. So I guess, let me ask you this, being even young, just a teenager, what made you want to become a sports agent initially? That, that was one of your first dreams. Why? I think because it seemed like a huge challenge and I loved sports and I thought, and, and now I don't feel that way because there's so many more women that I know of course, that know more than I do. But I thought I was like, wow, I have this really unique thing going and I think I can just present myself differently. And I think I just thought about like selling myself to athletes. Well, that sounds terrible, but I mean, selling, you know, <laughs> my, my business to athletes and just the sell that I could make and just, just sort of the connection that I could make would potentially give me an advantage and i just you know thought that the, the allure of that and then then i found out too you know now i know too much about that industry but i do have another um answer now if that's it's okay sure what would it be what i would be doing i would be working um alongside michelle obama this is now that i have kids and we'd be coming up with national standards to um have better nutrition for our children. That's like, great. So like restaurants, schools and restaurants, when you have your kid menu, it wouldn't just be like chicken fingers and hot dogs and burgers. Like it would be something that meets the nutritional standards that whatever we set after talking to That's great. scientists and dietitians and that kind of thing. Second last question here. Okay. You have over 20,000 Twitter followers. You follow plenty of people on Twitter. If Twitter were to send you a note right now, and say, we have a new policy, and every single person that you follow, we'll wipe that clean. You can only have one person on follow to follow on Twitter, either a person or a handle, an organization, but that's it. You only get one. Tough question, I'm sure, but who would be, who's your biggest, like, Twitter must follow? 
I'm going to got to say my husband, right? TFG underscore wise guy, who also is the co-host of Football Date Night, another podcast that we have. I got to say him. I guess Adam Schefter is a backup, but. Last question here. The, the very cliche one. You could have three dinner guests any year, dead or alive in history. Who would you have? From the sounds of earlier, I'm thinking Michelle Obama might be at that table with you. <laughs> who, yeah. who do you got? Who do you got? Um, I'm going to say Michelle Obama, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and um, Colin Kaepernick. Great job. That's good stuff. All right, everyone out there listening, give Melissa a follow on Twitter at the football girl. Of course, check out the footballgirl.com for Melissa's written work, as well as other people on the staff there. And definitely check out the football girl podcast available on all major podcasting platforms. Love that podcast. Thanks a lot, Melissa. Really appreciate you. This was fun. I'm a big fan of yours. So thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for having me. Hi, my name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranolytics podcast is powered by my company, MattCundellVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system, consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out MattCundellVoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, I am now being joined by my buddy Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast doing another installment of The Big Boy Theory. How you doing, man? Haven't been able to hook up with you in a little while. How you been? How are things? Doing good, Pat. It was nice getting a chance to see you and record live while you're up here in town. Good to be back on the show. Yeah, that was really cool for sure. What Jeff is referring to for people out there listening who might not have heard that episode, myself, Jeff, and Tim Graham from The Athletic, the three of us got together at the Autobahn North in Amherst to tape an episode, which was a lot of fun. The only thing is, I had taped an episode there before I had Matt Perino on the show, and that night, the bar was dead, and I think I did that on a Sunday. Me and you did it on a, and Tim did it on a Monday. The bar was really busy that night. You can only tell people how great all these places are so many times before everyone starts packing them to the gills. So people are clearly <laughs> reading your wing recommendations and they're, they're flocking there. Before we get going into today's topics, I got to say this because I feel like on that night, I did not do any justice to the Autobahn North. We ordered wings, the three of us, and the plan that I had was we would order the wings tape half the podcast, and then we would take a break, eat them, talk about the wings, and then finish the rest of the podcast. Well, the way it went down, and we ordered a double wing. We ordered 10 Cajun hot, both were on the grill, 10 Cajun hot and 10 medium hot. The wings came out, the waitress brought them out to us while we were still taping, but instead of me being smart enough to shut it down right there with whatever we had left off on and just pick back up after we ate, I decided to keep the segment going. And we ended up going for a good 15, 20 minutes after the wings were already out before we finally took a break to eat. And I feel like the wings that night suffered because of that. The hot Cajun wings were still very good, but I specifically remember the barbecue wings coming out. And because with barbecue wings, when they're not hot, like when they're cut off the fryer, the grill, however you get them, once they get cooler, 
the sauce, the barbecue sauce kind of gets a little thicker and it tastes glazy as opposed to the, any heat from it. So I think for that reason, they kind of suffered. And I feel like that's on me. Cajun were really good though. Oh my God. The Cajun were absolutely phenomenal. They're still a top five place for me easily. And again, I kind of feel like it's on me a little bit that the barbecue hot were not quite as good as they could have been because I let our podcast segment drag too long and let the wings sit around before we ate them, which it's kind of funny because we did a podcast. I can't remember what the hell we talked about on the podcast. I don't remember the topics, but I do remember the barbecue wings being a little bit too glazy and having it be my fault. Well, you know what? Whatever, man, it happens. A couple other things I wanted to get to. And then, uh, of course, obviously I got you on. We're going to talk some bills and some savers. I'm down here in Florida. I don't know. Again, me and you haven't had an opportunity to really get get to know each other too much. So I don't know a lot about what you like and what you don't like. I'm not sure how much of a baseball guy you are, but how much of a baseball guy are you first? Let me, let me ask you that. I mean, the ranks behind baseball, uh, baseball ranks behind football and hockey for me, just because we grew up in a town that didn't have a major league team. But I watch, I watch a good bit of baseball. I'm a big Indians fan because when I was growing up, the Bisons were the Triple A team for for the Indians. So I go to probably one or two games a year over at Progressive Field in Cleveland. So I follow along pretty well. All right, good. So then you'll kind of understand what I'm getting at right now. I'm I live in Florida, about a half hour away from the Trop. I live in like the Bradenton, Sarasota area. I'm absolutely disgusted with the fan base down here when it comes to the Tampa Bay Rays, I'm talking about specifically their fan base. It just disgusts. It makes me sick, man. It's Thursday night. We're taping this late on Thursday night. As we're taping this, the Tampa Rays right now, as we speak, you mentioned Cleveland. Tampa's a half game ahead of Cleveland for the second wild card spot. They've been in a dogfight pretty much all summer with Cleveland and with Oakland for two spots among those three teams fighting it out. Okay. That's playoff caliber baseball. For a lot of the summer, August, September. Well, guess what? Here in Tampa, or I guess St. Petersburg, technically at the Trop, I looked it up. They've had seven games during this stretch where they have had less than 9,000 people in the seats. You've got to be kidding me. On the year, they're averaging less than 15,000 people. That, to me, for a playoff team, is absolutely disgraceful. And I get why this team might not be in this area much longer. I won't. I don't think they should be here. Hell, man, Buffalo can average that. I think Buffalo I feel might like they're do probably that. That have that many people when they put the fireworks shows and everything on the Friday nights downtown. I don't know, man. The fan base down here, especially not maybe all sports, to some extent all sports, uh, they support the Lightning pretty well. But when it comes to baseball, the fan base here is just sickening. And again, it's centrally located from the trop. If you're in Tampa, you're a half hour away. If you're in my area, you're a half hour away. Clearwater's only 35, 40 minutes away. The one I want to hear location is any excuse. It's more than close enough. Park, which isn't exactly in the middle of downtown to go to Bill's games too. It's it's all about people's passion where versus location. If if you if you build it, they will come is what they what you cling to. Like we can put the stadium anywhere within the greater Tampa Bay area. People will go, but it it's it's rough and I'm obviously super biased because I would love Cleveland to catch them for that second wild card spot and sneak their way into the playoffs after the kind of start that they had. But it's 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 gotten to the point where you you mentioned that situation when I'm looking at maybe splitting home games in a not a, not just another city, not just another city like even in the United States, literally a, a Canadian city that lost their team. It's how it's it's yeah. like the Coyotes now in, in hockey. Like how many different ways can you construct things and plans and all this to get convince people to come before you realize that people just aren't super interested. And 
it sucks for a Tampa Bay team that is in a lot of ways revolutionizing modern pitching in Major League Baseball with how they use the openers and they were ahead of the game on that kind of concept. At the end of the day, if they get a playoff home playoff game, which is a realistic possibility that they could both win a wild card spot and get a home playoff game as a result of winning the wild card, that there could be a half empty stadium in St. Petersburg for televised playoff baseball, which is terrible optics for Major League Baseball that is already fighting kind of this thought process that baseball is, you know, it's your father's sport, it's your grandfather's sport. But the new generation, they're trying to figure out how they identify these players in this sport with a, whether it's pitch clocks, things to speed up the game, make people feel like they don't have to watch a four and a half hour game unless it's Yankees Red Sox, then you watch it because it's Yankees Red Sox. But Showing up a game on TV, on TNT on a Thursday night in the playoffs that has a half-empty stadium would be the biggest sign ever that they are farther behind basketball and football than they claim to be. So they've got to figure something out, and it's a terrible look for baseball. And I don't know what the answer is for for the Rays. They're, it's certainly not for lack of play and putting together a competitive ball club. Something's got to give somewhere, and I don't know if there's an easy answer to what they can do to get full stadiums again down there. You know, maybe it's because I'm born and raised in Buffalo and grew up a Buffalo fan, and I know how starved Buffalo teams are or fans are to have a just a good team, not even a great team, just a respectable team fighting for a playoff spot in Buffalo. Those stadiums get packed. The arena gets packed. It just it blows my mind, and it bothers me to no end that with all the people in this area between St. Petersburg and Tampa and Clearwater and Bradenton, Sarasota, that are an easy drive to the trop again. I'm in Bradenton, Sarasota, and I'm a half hour away that they can't get, on average, more than 15,000 people to come to a Major League Baseball game. It just blows my mind. Got one more thing for you before we jump into the Bills. We've talked about Seinfeld before. I know you're a huge Seinfeld guy. You know that I'm a big fan of The Office. That's my favorite show ever. You're a fan of The Office, but like you're not a, a diehard office fan, correct? Yeah, I've, right I've watched that? the, if not every episode, the vast majority of them. I enjoy it, but it, I don't I don't find myself watching it repeatedly like like you have been known to do if I follow your social media. <laughs> That's funny. You kind of cut out a little bit there. Skype connection went haywire for a half a second. You were alluding to my fondness for social media, particularly Twitter and tweeting out about The Office that I like doing that a lot, which I do. But anyway, when it comes to The Office, there's actually news this week with The Office, which is currently on Netflix in 2021, it's going to be going to a Peacock streaming, an NBC streaming device, and there's talk of a reboot, which, for the record, I'm going to go on the record saying I hope doesn't happen. I don't think it's going to happen, and I also don't think it's going to happen. This is my favorite show of all time, man, and I'm not a big fan of potentially it being done the wrong way, a half-ass reboot with maybe a third of the cast and trying to keep it the same show. I think that might ruin and tarnish at least some of the legacy. But what I did that I thought would, would be fun is have maybe having a spinoff of the show, kind of like Cheers with Frazier. So I put up a podcast poll earlier this week, and I got a couple hundred people to cast their vote, which is a decent sample size anyway. And I left four choices that if The Office was going to have a spinoff, what would you vote for? The winner was Dwight and Angela, based still in... Scranton, Pennsylvania, that had 38% of the vote. That would probably be the easiest one to be able to pick up and still do where you can incorporate more characters into it. Um, coming in second at 33%. So this was really close. It was 38 to 33%. Jim and Pam, and you could base that in Austin. 
at the end of the office, they moved to Texas. He's got Athley. They got their kids. Maybe it's a couple of years or whatever later. The kids are bigger. You can kind of have one of those family style sitcoms with them. And third, at 17%, I had Andy Bernard. And that's kind of what got me the whole Cheers Frazier thing. Somebody solo. Andy, at the end of the office, left for a job at Cornell, which is his dream job, his college, where he went. You could have him on the campus at Cornell and, and have follow him around and have a whole new cast, and that would be pretty cool. And then the last thing I had, which garnered, I think, 11% of the vote, was other, describing what you would do, something different. And the majority actually was kind of interesting that I got there was a Michael Scott prequel, like maybe young Michael Scott before he became Michael Scott at Dunder Mifflin. So those were interesting choices, a lot of good feedback. If this was you, okay, and it was up to you, and you had these choices, what would be one that you would probably be most interested well, in? Well, fir- firstly, I, I agree with what you said when you opened the segment, which is I hope that they don't do this because I do not see it working well. Right. And all it would serve to do is kind of tarnish what The Office is, which is a widely regarded and loved sitcom that ended and existed on pretty much a good note that people watch and like, if not all episodes, most episodes people would say that they like. It went out when it was maybe lose a little bit of an edge and we look back on it fondly if they were to try and bring it back i think the one that would have the most appeal to people at least from my point of view personally would be the jim and pam version of that spinoff that you mentioned to me assuming of course that steve carell doesn't relent they don't just back up a brink's truck worth of money and say hey steve we really need you to come back and do the office again and i don't think he would i think the jim and pam in texas would get people to at least tune into it I will be interested. And of, of course, that is assuming that both John Kaczynski and Jenna Fisher both wanted to do the show, too, because there's no way they could recast either of them. I just worry it would turn into like, oh, we've got a few episodes in and people are starting to tune now. Well, let's grab Rain Wilson to do an episode and try to do something with him and Angela. And let's do they're just going to end up trying to grab back all the original cast to come in. And all I see is that show would end with them moving back to Scranton after a season or two when they would just try to recreate the office with different people. I think that both of them are talented enough to make something work, but people are always going to compare the show to the office. I think Frasier might be the exception where you can make that show. And Frasier stood on its own as, as a, as a strong enough character. I think the office is great because there are so many different characters and personalities that are kind of laying over each other in all of these episodes that make the dynamics so interesting. Well, we'll see what happens. Obviously as a huge fan of the office, it's something that I'll be having my eyes and ears out for. All right. So anyway, let's transition into some Bill's talk here. I got to tell you, man, I get a sense that when it comes to Josh Allen, and I'm not talking for the record about anything he's been doing on the field. Obviously, he's been playing well, especially against the Giants. I thought he was fantastic. So I'm not necessarily talking about on the field stuff. Off the field, I'm starting to get this sense that Josh Allen is really becoming a star. One of those kind of larger than life Buffalo athletes that I frankly don't think this town has seen since the days of like Jim Kelly. Now I know there's been other first round quarterbacks with high expectations that came in like JP Lossman and like, um, who am I trying to think about EJ Manuel, Tyrod Taylor, who took them to the playoffs. They've had Trent Edwards, tons of other quarterbacks. It's been like a revolving door and even beyond quarterbacks. They've had their share of stars over the last 15, 20 years or so. Kyle Williams or Eric Moulds, Aaron Schobel, Eric Wood, guys like that. Those guys were very popular in the community, but I'm talking stars like stop what you're doing because Josh Allen was just spotted here. And like, that's almost like 
a little blog in the Buffalo News or something like that. You know what I mean? I'm just starting to get this really big sense. Because when it comes to Josh Allen, there's like an aura to him when it comes to Buffalo. Do you agree well, with that at all? It, I think part of it is magnified too by a lot of the players that you mentioned who have been those biggest personalities and most beloved players on this team the last you know, 10 or so years. It's Kyle Williams, a defensive tackle, Brian Mormon, a punter, and Eric Wood, a center. None of those are the sexy, flashy, top of the, like, build your team around position guys a lot of the time. It has been a long time since the Buffalo Bills had a quarterback who both we named our guy, so a guy that we drafted, and you think about Lossman, Edwards, all these guys, Manuel, who just completely just had their short runs, they're gone, we replace them with the next guy. And also has taken to this city. I mean, I, I think everyone started exploding on Twitter after his comments about, I play in New York. We are a New York team. Like everyone in Buffalo eats that up because deep down inside in Buffalo, we have a little bit of a little brother complex when it comes to the big city. And we want to make sure people know that we exist too. So that combined with how well I think he has played on the field and the fact that he really seems to take to his leadership role has made him really one of the stories of the NFL season so far. And if it wasn't for maybe Lamar Jackson going out and throwing the ball all around the yard, Josh Allen might be the most talked about quarterback in the NFL right now. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Listen, I know that he's got to be a star on the field to also be one off the field. If the Bills are 0-2 when Josh Allen was playing like trash right now, he'd be getting killed in the media and by fans, and they probably would be calling for Barkley to be started at this point. I know how it works, but that's not the case right now. And, you know, I, I'm telling you, I got to be honest with you. It kind of reminds me a little bit of I'm old enough. I grew up during the Bills Super Bowl era. So I remember the Jim Kelly days when he was a larger than life figure off the field. I'm talking about it would be news where Jim Kelly would be spotted at some restaurant or a club. The bulbs would be out flashing everywhere. It was kind of like a TMZ Hollywood Reporter tabloid kind of deal. Jim Kelly out and about. And it was like news. And I kind of feel like. Things are verging that way, trending that way towards Josh Allen becoming that type of star. Good looking dude. You know, I'll tell you, I got a friend on Twitter. Here's another example, actually a perfect one. Got a friend, Stephanie, on Twitter, and she posts plenty of selfies with herself or friends or whoever it may be. And she's a pretty girl, so she gets likes on there. But today, as we tape this again, on Thursday, she was at the Bills facility. She won some kind of lunch with the one of the coaches. Well, anyway, she had an opportunity to get a selfie with Josh Allen. She posted that selfie, and within a couple of hours, she had like 850 likes. You know what I'm saying? There's just an aura about Josh Allen as a star. I'm starting to see that is just as much, not just on the field, but also off of it as well. I mean, the city wants to embrace him as a leader, and so far, he's given them nothing but love back, and I think Bill's Mafia and the fans here in Buffalo have absolutely eaten it up, and it, it's, it really does seem like a good fit for him. I don't know if I could picture him being, you know, where Sam Darnold is. I don't know how he would handle the, the big New York City gotcha journalism kind of media that exists sometimes in big city sports like in New York City and Toronto and things like that. But here in Buffalo, he's, he comes from, you know, Wyoming. It's certainly not a big place. It's a down home kind of feel. He comes here to Buffalo and gets to you know go to work and do his job. And I think the people and the fans here really respect his, his worth effort work ethic and you know how he views being part of this team you know one thing that's kind of funny is and it's ironic to say this because the guy is the highest drafted quarterback in franchise history was the seventh overall pick yet he's still an underdog and i say that because so many national people have written him off and blasted him and criticized him that it's almost made him despite being you know this cannon arm kid who was the seventh overall pick it's almost like 
He's an underdog because of all the bad shit that mainly, I mean, not listen, I shouldn't just say national people. There's plenty of local critics of Josh Allen as well. I mean, they're starting to eat a little bit of crow, myself included, for the record. Last year, I was probably harder on him than I needed to be before he even took an NFL snap. But my point being is that so many people bashed this kid before his first NFL game that even despite being a first round, high first round pick, he kind of became like an underdog. And I think Buffalo, the fans in part, kind of embraced that. Well, I think it becomes well. a combination of a bunch of things where you have a, a team in the Buffalo Bills who have a terrible history of drafting quarterbacks. Like it, it, one of the worst, if not the worst recent histories of guys that we've taken in the first round who have just been out of the league within a year of leaving Buffalo. Combine that with you got a kid from a, a school in Wyoming that is not a big school. They don't get on TV very often. A lot of Bills fans probably only started watching Josh Allen highlights if they did watch Josh Allen highlights before the draft because they heard his name being tied in rumors to the Bills. And so that guy comes out across the stage. You're like, who, who is this guy with a 50-something percent completion percentage out there in the Mountain West? Like, what, what is this? How do we end up with this guy? We've got big UCLA star Josh Rosen on the board. We've got Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson on the board. Who is, who is Josh Allen? And I think everyone assumed that it was, oh, it's classic Buffalo Bills. What are they reaching on this guy again? Like, they traded up for Lossman, and they moved around for Manuel, and they passed on Mahomes, and Josh Allen is slowly, and it's a process to slowly erase a lot of that and convince people who are not happy with that pick that they were, you know, maybe they should have just taken their time and let it come in. Myself included, I was very much on the Rosen train when they went up to that, announced that seventh pick they traded up for. Yeah, me too. I'm not going to lie about it. I I wanted Rosen. I'm not, I can't lie. I can't deny it. Let me ask you this. All right. You're in Western New York right now. I'm kind of stuck in Florida. The Bills are 2-0. What is the vibe there? My wife right now currently is in Buffalo. She's there for the weekend for a wedding. I didn't go to the wedding in Buffalo because my son plays football on Friday nights here in Florida, and there's nothing on the face of this earth that's going to make me miss one of his games. So anyway, I stayed behind. My wife represented the family. She's in Buffalo. But anyway, she ain't talking to me about the wedding. She's not talking about visiting family or visiting friends or any of that crap. She's ready. She's all in. She's pumped for the Sunday tailgate for the Bills' home opener on Sunday. Now, don't get me wrong. We know how Buffalo is. It's a party city. They could be 0-2 with two ugly losses right now. It's a home opener. Fans would still be getting hyped that comes Sunday. But is it? Does it feel like to you it's a different type of war being 2-0 right now with an excellent opportunity to go 3-0? It definitely feels a little bit different. And, and you know, obviously, the, the, this team could be 0-8 walking in for their first, first home game. People would pack the, the parking lots and pack, pack New Era Field and be all about it. But because of what they did, namely making a comfort behind win against a Jets team that you know a lot of people thought coming into the season, those teams were going to be pretty even. And then going and playing a pretty comfortable game against the Giants, winning two straight road games, coming back home. I think people are seeing the opportunity that this team has, which is a schedule that favors them. Two teams in the division that are one might be the worst team in modern NFL history and a Jets team that can't stay healthy for the life of them. A chance to make a significant impact when it comes to playoff time. And I think people are really excited to see this team, this version of Josh Allen, this revamped defensive line, and all of the great things that Buffalo has shown so far this season and see them in person. If this Bills team goes out and does what I think they're capable of on Sunday, that is to say comfortably beat the Cincinnati Bengals, the hype levels are going to reach maximum capacity going into a week four game against the Patriots. That will really be the measuring stick for just how good this team can be. Yeah, and I want to be careful. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. And I also, you know, not to play Debbie Downer or nothing, but we got to keep shit real here. The fact the Bills are 2-0, and but 
they did beat two pretty crappy teams, okay? The Jets already looked like massive, massive underachievers. Who knows how healthy Sam Darnold was for that game. Of course, the model thing came out after, and the Giants just stink. And now they're playing a team this Sunday, Cincinnati, that's 0-2. Now, they got some weapons. They could be dangerous, but they're not a very good team. They did go out the first game. uh, They only lost by one at Seattle, but then they came home last week and got absolutely manhandled at home by Frisco. So there's a very good chance the Bills are going to be 3-0. and And there's even a better chance, there's a 100% chance the Pages are going to be 3-0 because they're definitely going to beat the Jets this weekend. You got two 3-0 and teams week four in Buffalo. That crowd is going to be hyped. And it, it will probably be the most anticipated Bills-Patriots matchup for, God, it might even be since that, that Monday night game that we had here a few years back. That's, wow, that's got to be eight or nine years ago now because the Patriots have been so overwhelmingly better than Buffalo that even even that game where Buffalo beat them when uh, Jacoby Brissett was starting a couple of years ago, that didn't really feel like the same level of hype. Like, yeah, it was cool to beat the Patriots, but you know, you kind of beat a team with a third string quarterback with his hand broken. You, you took it in Ram, but you don't, you don't go bragging to all your friends about it. This feels like the, the most excited that yeah. Bills fans have would be going into a game with the Patriots. Now, I think the Patriots are still the best team in the NFL, and I don't know that it's particularly close. And I'm not convinced that Buffalo can hang with New England. But I'm also not entirely sure that they can't. And it's been a while since I even had that little thought of, you know, maybe this team has enough things in the right places because you have a team that I would say has a top three defense in the NFL. You have a defensive line that is you've got a healthy Trent Murphy, a young Ed Oliver, who's looked fantastic. Three at a pass rush. You have a great secondary with a great safety duo. You have Trey White, who's one of the top five, top 10 cornerbacks in the NFL. If Josh Allen can play the way that he's, shown that he can do at points. If we can get the the Josh Allen that made that running to his right throw to Dawson Knox versus the Josh Allen who had four turnovers in the first half of the Jets game, things get interesting. There's enough things that Buffalo can do well that it won't be one of those, oh, New England beat the Bills 56 to 10 kind of games, it feels like this year. You know, my favorite thing about the Bills right now, besides being 2-0, obviously that's my favorite thing, but it's not even that they're off to a good start. And again, good chance that they could be 3-0. and next time we talk, but I love the fact that they're, if nothing else, a team full of potential right now, and they are a team that financially speaking here is built to have an opportunity to be good for quite a while. As of right now, they're projected to have $84 million against the cap in 2020, which would be the fourth most in the entire NFL behind Miami, Indy, and the Raiders. So they're right there currently at the top. And then when you look at the guys who are going to be unrestricted free agents this offseason. There's not a lot, man. Jordan Phillips is only here on a one-year deal, a backup tackle to begin with. Lorenzo Alexander, who probably, I shouldn't say for sure, but there's a good chance he's going to retire. Jack Lawson, we'll see how that plays out. He's off to a good start this year. And then a couple old guys like Frank Gore and Quinn in Spain. Who knows what they're going to, if they're going to be around. I doubt it. Gore's 36 years old. I'm sure Singletary is the future. But my point being is they got a lot of cap room, fourth most in the NFL as of right now. Not a lot of guys that they absolutely have to re-sign. And even a couple of, I'm just, listen, like uh, Trey White, maybe they have to redo his contract or Hyde or Poyer. That's my point, though. All three of those guys, other guys, too. Instead of going out and signing these big-name free agents, the guys that they're grooming their own, they could go out and they could re-sign these guys and give them good deals and keep a lot of this core together for a nice long stretch. So this isn't just going to be a, 
a one and done team that if they can make the playoffs this year, you got to do it this year because we're going to lose a lot next year. We ain't going to lose shit next year. That's my whole point. That's what excites me about this organization the most right now. Brandon Bean's doing a fantastic job of building within a salary. I think what you mentioned is a very underrated aspect of this team is that obviously you hope they, they win 10 games this year and make a, make a run in the playoffs. Let's say that something happens. There's terrible injuries and you go eight and eight, you miss the playoffs. There's no need to panic because whether or not Frank Gore is back here next year, and who knows, I think Singletary has looked fantastic through two games and you hope his hamstring injury isn't too significant. It is that the team can only be better next year and they can go out and take that money and throw and find another wide receiver, another weapon for Allen if they want to, or they can add another guy in the linebacking core. If Alexander retires, they can just keep getting deeper and deeper because they have so much room to play with. And I think that this is becoming a valuable and a desirable destination, especially for defensive players, because guys like Jordan Poyer or Lorenzo Alexander, or these guys were thought to be death guys. Lorenzo Alexander was a special teams ace who's come to Buffalo and become one of the best yeah. tackling linebackers in the NFL. I think people should want to, it's, it's unusual to say, but I think people are going to start wanting to come here and playing for this organization. You know, that's an ironic statement because the reputation around the league is that players don't like coming here. I know fans don't like hearing that, but that has been the reputation, but I agree with you hundred percent. They're building a winning culture and his defense is really good. And especially defensive players that could change, win some games and everything changes. The fans treat players like Kings and players will start wanting to come here again. Before we get out of here, I do want to spend a couple minutes talking about the Buffalo Sabres. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm not excited about it. It's kind of one of those getting to the point of the time of the year where I have to, you know, this is primarily a Buffalo sports podcast and I kind of got to get myself back in the Sabres mode a little bit. They did play two preseason games this week before we taped this. They won on Monday over basically a Pittsburgh Penguins minor league team and then they lost on Tuesday at Columbus. Uh, what have you heard or read regarding the first couple games? If anything, that's kind of stood out to you a little bit. I mean, bit, it's maybe? preseason. It's hard to take a lot from that Pittsburgh game other than, I guess they had some good resolve. They blew a three goal lead in that game to a backup Pittsburgh squad, but came through in overtime. Good to see Jack get a nice overtime game winning goal. The only thing that's really ever stood out to me is the lack of Ristolainen. And that continues to be a big question. And what the six-man defense is going to be for this team when the season starts continues to be a big question. Whether or not it's first line, you got Montour now with his hand injury. Yoki Haru's look pretty good. I don't think that that is set in stone. And there's a lot of a lot that's in flux for what the 18-man roster is going to be. You mentioned it. The big news, Brandon Montour hurt his hand. He's definitely out for the rest of the preseason. Don't know if it's going to linger into the regular season yet. But kind of two questions attached to that Yoki Haru and I got I have such a hard time pronouncing that dude's name it's going to take me all season to get that right because of the injury to my tour does that increase his chances of making his opening night roster now and also does that decrease the chances that Rasmus Rissalainen ends up getting traded now before the season starts I still don't think Rissalainen gets traded because if the value was out there somewhere they would have jumped on it by now. I think they would be happy to have him gone if someone was to give them their asking price. But I also think that they are committed to at least giving it a shot unless someone gives them what they want. I do think that it gives Yoki Haru a pretty good chance to get at least an early season look. He seems like the logical guy to get more playing time if Brandon Montour is not able to go for the first little bit of the season. Um, he's good. 
looks in, he's All interesting. Right. He paired very well with Darlene the other day. That might be something to look at down the road. Practice lines on Thursday. They had VC with Eichel and Reinhardt, Skinner with Cozens and Erod. I'm just having some of the notable lines. I'm not reading all of them. Johansson was with Asplin and Olafson. And then they had a blue group, and the four lines were CJ Smith, Middlestad, Okposo, Ali Saboka, Thompson, and Sherry, Sean Malone. Uh, that's about it in terms of the Fords. I know that they're just trying out a bunch of different combinations, and we shouldn't read anything into practices after just two preseason games, but. I haven't noticed, and maybe, I, again, I'll admit it, I'm not probably paying enough attention to his team right now, but do you get the sense that Skidder might not start the season skating with Jack? I think Michael? they're going to see if they can split them up a little bit and try to create two dynamic scoring lines. I think they're not worried about playing those guys together as much in the preseason either because you already know that these two guys can play together. If they can find that VC yeah. can go on that line and give you 60% or 50% of what Skinner does, but Skinner can get something out of middle stat, then maybe they're going to explore that for a couple of games and see some different combinations. Because, I mean, obviously Jack and Sam are great together too. So maybe you try to get VC up there or get Johansson up there. Try to see if you can keep some of your top, top guys apart. Because what's been the case for Buffalo the last few years is you get your Skinner, Eichel, Reinhardt line or whatever your top line is, and then your second line can barely get into the other team's zone. So I think that the focus, at least so far, is trying to figure out how much they can split up their top scoring depth and create more difficult matchup situations for opposing defenses. If you were Kruger right now and you could play head coach, what would be the lines that you would roll out at the beginning? Give these guys a shot. Yeah, so my first look is I, I like the concept of splitting Skinner and Eichel to start. I would go with Reinhardt, Johansson, and Eichel as your top line, and then maybe VC with Skinner. And assuming that Dylan, Dylan Cousins will probably get his games that he can get before he goes back down to to the minors for the year so he doesn't accrue a year. So maybe middle stat there mm-hmm. with Skinner and uh, VCC, if you can get something to work there, then Erod and Sherry and you know, pick a name out of a hat. Actually, maybe maybe you go Olofsson there or you move Olofsson up to where VC is on that second line, try to figure out where he fits in best. And then your fourth line is uh, Larson probably with... Well, that, yeah, that's where the fun gets. That's what's going to save this. All right, I got six names for you. Let's just say those first three lines, I threw out nine people. Forget about the combination. Those nine guys consummate your first three lines. Now you got Larson's, you got Gergensen's, you got Tate Thompson, you got Ocposo, you got Zaboka, you got CJ Smith. Those are six people with three spots left for a fourth line. Who do you think would be in control to get that fourth line spot? I, I almost hate having Tate Thompson on the fourth line. If he's gonna if if you think the only he's gonna do is be on the fourth line at this point, I think that might be the case. I would almost rather just let him start in Rochester and give him a few games down there to be dominant and then you call him up when you want to switch something up. Uh but if I'm so I'm going I'm gonna go Larson. I am gonna go with Opozo and I'm actually gonna pick a name that you didn't mention. I'm gonna go with Rasmus Asplund as the other guy. One last Sabres thing here. Rasmus Dahlin, today at practice, he was skating with Rasmus Rusalin, and I think he played with Yaki Oro. God, I can't get that name right. I'm just going to call the dude Yoki. He skated with him the first preseason game. Who do you think he's going to end up with to start the season? Are you a little bit worried about with a kid that young? Do you think that he needs to be consistent, that he should be playing with the same person consistently, or is it going to keep being a revolving door of other guys? I don't know if I'm super worried about major consistency i'd be more worried about getting him with someone who is 
you know, sound in his own zone. And I mean, I Buffalo would love to have some defensemen who are sound on their own zone. We've been looking for those for years now, a guy who can actually play defense. Um, I think the answer might be Brendan Montour when Montour is fully healthy. I am guessing that he will start the season either with Ristolainen, assuming that, you know, Ristolainen is still here, which I really do think he will be. Or, you know, if Yoki Haru is here, they looked interesting against Pittsburgh. Yoki Haru is another good puck-moving defenseman. Maybe you give him a game of Yoki Haru, and then maybe you go back to Ristolainen after that. I think it will be one of those two guys, but ultimately I see him settling in with Montour. All things over at uh, one of my favorite podcasts out there, 716 Sports Podcast. Getting back into the the swing of it with with uh, Bills being back into into season mode here, so we're back to recording every Monday, and I think we we talked about it this past week. It's some of the most positive Bills podcasting we've ever done because really this this podcast was was born out of a state of just complete despair and like disbelief in how terrible our football team is. And throughout the time we've seen quarterbacks come and go, we've seen one playoff game and three total points scored. And this is the most optimistic I remember us being, and I've only been with the the podcast existed before I joined up with it by, by a couple of years. But since I joined up about four or five years ago now, uh, this has been the most excited we have been two games into a season, and it, it feels good to get back with that. And we're working on something um, as well for our 716 Sports Chronicles series, uh, which we'll be hopefully having a little bit more information on soon, which is something we do where we try to dig into a think of a kind of like a radio version of a 30 for 30, where you find a cool Buffalo sports story that maybe hits on a little bit more of a personal level. You dig into the the fact that athletes, you know, we, we watch them on TV, but they're people and they're going through real things in their lives. So we're hoping to have another episode of that in progress here soon we get confirmation from from the guests that they're willing to work with us here so we're gonna try to find some time to get that recorded as well that's cool and you know what let me end by saying this here okay i don't care if it's a mainstream media newspaper journalist or a sports talk show host a podcaster a blogger a tv reporter whatever it may be anyone who covers the bills and sabers who says they don't care if the team wins or loses they're just doing their job I don't believe it, okay? I think most of them are full of shit because it's quite obvious, and everybody knows this. When the Bills and Sabres are good, people want to read about them. People want to hear about them. People want to talk about them. They want to see all kinds of stuff when they're good. When they're bad, a lot of people, myself included, to be honest with you, and I am a podcaster. I don't. Again, when I thought the Bills were going to lose it in Jets opening day, I was dreading doing this podcast. It's just the way it is, man. So any of them who say, that they don't care at all one way or the other. I just don't buy it. I think a lot of them are completely full of shit. But anyway, everyone out there, give Jeff a follow on Twitter at JeffBoyd716. Of course, check out the 716 Sports Podcast. New episodes on Tuesdays. You guys do such a good job with that podcast. I'm a big fan of it. Big fan of yours. Thanks for doing this segment. Always love having you on the podcast. No, it's always great to be here, Pat. And thanks again for having me. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Big thank you again, Melissa Jacobs, the football girl. I'm such a big fan of hers. Go check it out, thefootballgirl.com. Also, the Football Girl Podcast. Great guest. I, I really enjoy her podcast a lot. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks as well to my man, Jeff Boyd, recurring guest for another installment of The Big Boy Theory. Love talking Bills and Sabres, all kinds of stuff with that guy. Want to ask you guys a favor, okay? If you enjoy listening to this podcast, if you like the work I do, if you like the guests that I have on this podcast, just want you to do three things for me, and they're all really quick and they're really easy. Number one, 
please subscribe to this podcast. It's available Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Just go to the app that you like to use. Hit subscribe here. It's quick. It's easy. It's completely free. You don't got to do anything else. Also, I'd like for you guys, if you could, to rate and review the show. Again, it only takes a couple seconds. I say it pretty much every week, and I really mean it. It helps me grow this podcast tremendously. And then last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Tamaran Tweets. Constantly have podcast news coming on, updates, guest updates, podcast polls, thoughts, takes, all kinds of stuff on there. Again, it's at Tamaran Tweets. Thank you again, as always, for listening and for downloading. I, you know, listen, I don't want to be insincere about it. I know I sound like a robot because I have the pretty much the same spiel at the end of every episode, but I mean it, man. I really do. I appreciate each and every single person out there who listens to this podcast, whether it's on your drive to or from work, whether it's at the office, whether it's at the gym, whether you're just chilling at the house, no matter what it is you're doing. If you're taking time out of your day once a week, maybe twice a week, to listen to this podcast, I can't tell you how much it means to me. It means everything to me. So I really, truly appreciate each and every single one of you. Have a good weekend. Enjoy it. Hopefully on Tuesday, we'll be talking about the Buffalo Bills being 3-0 on the season. Regardless, we'll have plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.